All right, let's get started this morning. <clears throat> we'll have a word of prayer and then dive into our study. So let's pray and then we will begin. Father, we thank you for another beautiful day, uh, even with the colder temperatures, just the beauty of, of uh, uh, the weather outside and uh, even as we progress closer to um, celebrating Thanksgiving and Christmas and just this time of year, we know uh, just the joy of being with loved ones and, and thanking you, especially thinking about all, all of our blessings, thinking ultimately uh, as we come to Christmas time about the birth of Christ and all that's entailed in him coming and uh, dying for us uh, so that we could have life through him. So uh, just help us this time of year to reflect on the true meaning of these things, um, not just to get caught up in the commercialism as we get closer. And uh, God, we just thank you for uh, just the time we can come together and study your word today. Uh, I do pray for Ryan and for Jacob and their family as his mom passed away. We do thank you for the fact that she trusted you. She knew you and uh, she is in your presence right now. And Lord, the hope that we all have of that reality. Uh, But God, we still uh, grieve and we still mourn uh, when we lose loved ones. And so we just pray for Ryan and for for Jacob, especially as as he was saying, it hasn't quite sunk in yet. And just the arrangements... uh, preparing for everything Wednesday, that just things would go well, that uh, the gospel would be proclaimed, and that um, even some of Ryan's relatives maybe could hear the gospel and put their faith in you. And So I would just lift the the family up to you. We pray for um, our time together in your word uh, in this setting, that you would just give us wisdom and understanding. We pray for uh, the kids downstairs, the youth, as they think through your word and, and meditate upon it, learn more about it. God, just bless that. For our service here in just a little bit, especially our our child dedication, that that would go uh, well and that you would help us all as individuals to unite around these families who are uh, who who have a desire to uh, raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of you. And so, God, just bless that. Help us as we hear from your word and are challenged by that. And even for our ministries tonight, kids club, youth group, um, just bless that. Uh, Be with uh, all those that come, especially those outside of our immediate church context, those who are part of the community that maybe don't come from Christian homes, whether kids or youth, that they could uh, hear the truth of your word, they could hear the gospel, they could see uh, the testimony of believers, and that you would just draw them to yourself. So God, we lift the the day up to you. We pray that you be glorified in our midst today, and um, Lord, just just, uh, help us to meditate and to worship you in spirit and truth today, and we pray this in Christ's name. All right, so you see there we're on to, we finished finally Genesis chapter 1, worked through it uh, kind of methodically, wanted to make sure we didn't neglect uh, things there, and we're going to walk through um, chapter 2, probably pick up the pace a little bit, although it may not look like it this morning because we're just looking at three verses, but uh, we see um, these verses in Genesis chapter 2 really would probably be more fitting at the end of chapter 1, especially verse 1. Um, says, thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. This is really a, uh, a similar phrase and mention of heaven and earth to, to how chapter 1 be- began. And so really, you know, these we got to think chapter divisions in Scripture are not inspired, right? There was a person that decided, okay, this is where these breaks should be. And really, when it comes to this, this should be at the end of chapter 1, the conclusion of this uh, creative week of God. And so we're going to talk about the seventh day today. So I already read verse 1. Let's continue to read 
um, I'll pick back up with verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay, so the first question I want to ask, I've got several questions as we, we think through and talk through this this morning, but why did God rest? Was God tired? Why did God rest here after the six days of creation? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an aspect, and as we're going to talk about, you know, there's no mention specifically in these verses of that word Sabbath, but we know this is the foundation for what later on the Old Testament would lay out as the Sabbath command to rest. And so I think there's absolutely an aspect of when that command's given, it's to be a reflection upon God's completed work, a celebration in a sense of that. So absolutely, there's a, a sense of things are complete, there's, there's rest. But what else? Why did God rest? Was, and, and I asked that second part. Was God tired? Was he worn out? Okay. Okay. So definitely we're going to see that aspect as well, that it's a model and specifically later on, we'll see how it's given as a command. Here, it's not specifically a command, but I think creation is invited to participate in this even from the beginning. Um, what else? What other thoughts? No one's answering my question. Was God tired? Okay. You're getting way ahead, but yeah, go ahead. No, we're going to get on that too, yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, we're going to touch on all these aspects as we work through um, this idea of the Sabbath and, and specifically the foundation of that that we see here in Genesis 2. Um, yeah, absolutely we know, and I know it's a question I don't even have to ask. Of course we know God's not tired, he's not worn out and resting in that sense. Isaiah forty twenty eight says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So we know God is infinite. He, is, uh, he exists with infinite power. And so as God uh, utilizes his power in creation, it's not as though, it's not like us where, you know, some of the men yesterday went and uh, helped load wood and chop wood and all that. And, you know, I know Roger agreed. I'm, we're sore today, right? We exerted it, especially me. I'm not used to exerting that much energy. Bob, you were there yesterday several of us, so we're probably all feeling that today and need some extra rest to recover, right? God is not, when he utilizes his power in creation, it's not as though he went from 100% strength and now he's dropped and he's got to rest to get back to where he was before. It's not like that. He is infinite, and so he does not lose. He does not exert any energy. Um, so it's not as though he's resting after laboring and being tired, okay? So the idea here, and when we think of rest, a lot of times that's what we think of, and 
in the context of us practicing rest, it's usually with that in mind, that we're resting, we're not exerting energy, we're taking time to recoup because we know we're fallible, we know we're finite. But really when it talks about God resting, the idea is not resting in the sense of um, trying to recover, it's more the sense of God ceased from working. So really it can be translated, um, the heavens were completed, right? And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he ceased from that work. Okay, so he, he ceased, he stopped creating. Um, you know, of course, we've talked about that word bara. God's been creating. So now God is still, of course, working. He's sustaining. But this is not a creative work that we see that happens in the first six days. So God is still working and sustaining the, the world. Um, we're going to see eventually there's work in redemption after man's fall. But we see this idea as more that God ceased from his work Things are completed, the, the earth, his creation is, is finished, mankind is finished, and so there's a ceasing of activity, okay? So after God rests, it says in, uh, on, in verse um, 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So this is the only day of the creative week that God specifically blesses the day itself and makes it holy. And I think it's, it's pretty cool to think about. There was a quote I read from Kenneth Matthews. He said, um, we've talked a lot about time with creation, right? We've talked about uh, what is a day? What is a, a, an astronomical day? One revolution of the earth, right? Or one, one rotation of the earth on its axis is what, is what a day is, right? What is a year? One rotation around the sun. A revolution around the sun is a, is a year. Um, we think about months and how for the Jewish calendar, they were based on lunar cycles, right? So all these things, all these time markers were things that astronomically we can say, this is what a day, this is what a month is, this is what a year is. Well, Kenneth Matthew says, whereas the Hebrew calendar and those of other people, the days, months, and years were related to solar and lunar cycles, the Sabbath is not tied to any celestial movement. The Sabbath thus underlies the fundamental idea of Israelite monotheism, that God is holy outside of nature. So when we think about our, our week, which is based on God's creative week, seven days, there's no astronomical means other than saying, well, this is seven times the earth goes around, but there's no you know, astronomical way that we're setting that barrier. This points to God's creative work, to specifically the Sabbath day and this day of rest, and it shows that God is outside of time, right? He's outside of that, and so this aspect of God's rest in this this creative week points to who God is and points to his being outside of time, okay? So, God blesses the seventh day. He makes it holy. What does it mean that the seventh day is made holy? Yes, there you go. Set apart. It's, It's distinguished. It's set apart from the other six days of creation, right? It's unique. Um, and so we see this uniqueness uh, in comparison to the other six days because there's no mention, uh, whereas with every other day of creation, days one through six, there's a, it closes with, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day or day six, literally. Um, here it doesn't have evening and morning. It doesn't say this is the completion of day seven. So it's almost this aspect of a continuation, a, a rest that's meant to continue, Okay. Um, so we see God setting this day apart. What, what might be some takeaways from the fact there's no mention of evening or morning? Are there any other takeaways? 
There's no mention of evening and morning with this day. This would this was what um, when we talked about like the day age theory, and them looking at days as not twenty four hour days, but thousands and millions of years. They point to this day and say, "See, it's this day doesn't have to be a literal day because it's kind of meant to be an ongoing rest." Um, but we see this is not normative to the other days, and and we made the case, of course, that the reason we know the other six days aren't. Uh, thousands of years is because any time in scripture the word yom which is day is used with evening and morning and a number it always means a literal day Um, and there's there's so many other issues we unpack there but the idea i think is this continuative rest okay god's done with his creative work his creation is invited to participate in this sense of rest okay um kenneth matthew says god and his creatures share in the celebration of the good creation so there's your word, Nancy. You said this idea of this is meant to be a celebration. So they share in the celebration of the good creation. God's people are enjoined to enter into the rhythm of work and joyful rest. Embracing God's Sabbath rest meant experiencing the sense of completeness and well-being God had accomplished at creation in behalf of all human life. Okay? So does that mean from the beginning, God's original design, there was no work whatsoever? It was just kick back, take it easy, rest. No, and we see that clearly. God gives man a purpose, dominion over uh, all the creatures. He gives, puts him in the garden to tend the garden, to keep it. Um, so there is, of course, work. And as we even think about eternity, it's not just kicking our feet back for all of eternity and singing worship songs. There's, God intends us to do things, to be productive. Um, but there's a sense of rest. There's a sense of completeness as we're trusting in, in what he's done. And so we see, as we're going to get to in chapter 3, there's an interrupt, interruption of Sabbath rest. Okay, What is that interruption? What interrupts the Sabbath rest in chapter 3? The fall of man, right? Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin against God. <clears throat> this rest for mankind was short-lived. It's broken by sin. Um, and so... We're not going to look specifically there, but when you look at the curse that God gives after uh, mankind sins, um, what, think about it. What are, what are some of the consequences that God specifically gives to the woman and to the man? And you can flip over to chapter 3 if you want to look. But what are some specific things when they sin against God that here is the punishment, here, is the, here are the results of that? Okay, death, of course, ultimately... Yes, right. Before it was, there was a, a sense of, um, I wouldn't say complete ease, but there's a sense of ease to his work, right? Production. You don't have to worry about weeds and thorns and, you know, things are done fairly easily. Um, now you're going to sweat and you're going to work hard and it's not going to produce to the extent that it did before, okay? For women, it was pain and childbearing. Um, and so you see these consequences, there's strife, Within the marriage relationship, right? He says to the woman, you will, you really want it, you want to usurp, usurp authority over the man, but he's going to rule over you. So there's strife, there's um, pain, there's labor, sweat, exhaustion that takes place because of their sin that interrupts this concept of Sabbath rest that God is instituting here on day seven, okay? 
So man goes from working and experiencing unhindered satisfaction in his work and celebrating God's rest to now restlessness, strife, stress, corruption, the corruption of creation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, and we'll talk a little bit here in just a minute about those Old Testament commands when it comes to the Sabbath, and then we're going to get to New Testament aspects, but that is very interesting. And we could there's probably countless verses we could look at that touch on the Sabbath. So <clears throat> we all know if, if we've labored, if we work, we know that um, we know the frustration that comes from work. Things don't always work the way that we want them to. You know, the end product that we envision doesn't always come as smoothly. Um, we're, we're tired afterward. We know just the pain of um, this restlessness, this strife, this stress that comes from work today, whatever it may be. Okay, things wearing down, things breaking. Okay, so we see it's broken by the fall, and then um, Genesis two again lays out this foundation for the Sabbath day. But again, there's no mention. The, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Sabbat, which means to rest. But there's no specific mention of the Sabbath as we see later in the Old Testament. So there's really no direct command either given to mankind per se. Like you must, I mean, God blesses it. He makes it holy. But there's not a direct command until actually after the Exodus. So it's not till after, after God delivers his people from Egypt and then God gives the law, the Ten Commandments, that we see this command to practice the Sabbath day, to remember it, to keep it holy um, it's, this is found in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And here's the reason. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the foundation for God's command to honor the Sabbath day is what we see here in Genesis 2. Six days God created, seventh day he rested. This is meant to be practiced by you. Do all your work in six days, rest on the seventh day. Okay. Um, so it, it's a focus back to God's original design, God's original intention to his people as they're led out of Egypt. Uh, later, when Moses shares the law with Israel again, so after their disobedience and their rebellion in Deuteronomy, we see the law being given again. There's something different. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord, your God, brought you out from there with a mighty and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there's specific mention in the regiving of the law to remembering, using that as a, a time to remember and reflect upon their time in Egypt and why God delivered them. So why was it fitting for Moses to remind them of being slaves in Egypt when re-giving this Sabbath command? Why would that be fitting in light of this command?
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, do you think they got a day off in Egypt? Probably not, right? You think they had a seven-day week or had weekends, you know, you know, work hard and then you get to enjoy, you know, Saturday and Sunday and, you know, no, they weren't singing Everybody's Working for the Weekend, A, because the song wasn't written yet, but B, because they didn't know what a weekend was, right? So, yeah, it reminds them of the labor, the constant restlessness that they experienced in Egypt and how God delivered them because they were his unique people that he had called out before with Abraham and he was going to make them unique. And now that you are out of that, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to practice as a means to distinguish yourself from the nations, okay, to rest, okay? Um, So let's think now, flash forward through, and again, Old Testament, there's different passages that would touch on this idea of the Sabbath command and either people, God's people not honoring it and the consequences they experience. But let's get to what you mentioned, Pastor Justin, the Sabbath, Sabbath day in Jesus' day, okay? So by the time Jesus walked the earth, we know this, this uh, command had grown to legalistic proportions, okay? And numerous times, Jesus himself was accused of breaking the Sabbath. Do you remember any of those occasions where the Pharisees said, you're breaking the Sabbath? What was Jesus doing? There are a couple of different instances but there was one where he heals right on the sabbath yes and the the in mark 2 is the one where they're picking grain hey this isn't lawful um and then in mark 2 27 in response to that jesus said and this is exactly what you said the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath so the son of man is lord even of the sabbath so they had taken this this day that god had given to be uh subservient to man Right. This is a means by which man can be served to rest, to reflect. They've taken it to now. They're elevating the Sabbath above man and they're serving the Sabbath. They've got all these specific commands about what you can and cannot do. Uh, John Phillips says, instead of being a day of rest, the Jews with their genius for religious minutiae encrusted the day with such enormous covering of tradition that the day became an intolerable burden. So the opposite of what it was intended to be. It was now a burden because of so many commands and so many laws. By the time the Lord Jesus trod the earth, the Jews had decided that to carry a loaf of bread from one house to another broke the Sabbath, that to extinguish a lamp was work, that it was permissible to lift a child, but if the child had a stone in its hand, the mother broke in the Sabbath by doing work, that it was permissible to look in a mirror, but to see a white hair and pull it out was work, that to scatter two seeds was sowing and therefore work, that to pluck a blade of grass was work, that to lift a, dry, a dried fig was to lift a burden and therefore was work and a desecration of the Sabbath. It is no wonder that the Lord refused to keep the Sabbath according to Jewish traditional requirements. So we as mankind love to just twist God's word and you know now it's become such a burden because there's such specific things when God intended it Hey, this is, there are specific things about the Sabbath, but there's meant to help you rest and reflect and ultimately put your trust not in your own works, but in what God has done, okay? So we've walked through all this, and so now here, here's where we might get, uh, I don't know, hopefully not too controversial, but here's the question I want to ask. Uh, let me start with this. When is the Sabbath? What day of the week is the Sabbath? Okay, you guys are right on. So many people today, Sunday, 
because it's a day typically as believers when we rest, when we worship the Lord. But Saturday is the seventh day, right? Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday is the last day of the week. Saturday is technically the Sabbath, okay? Um, so it's not Sunday, as many people think. Uh, and so why, let me ask a follow-up question, why is it that we gather together, we worship the Lord, we take time to rest typically on Sunday? Why, why, why not? Well, Seventh-day Adventists believe that the Sabbath is still uh, in play, and that's why they gather on Saturday. But um, why, why do we worship on Sunday as believers? Okay, you see that in Acts 20, verse 7, and there's several other references. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So we see a couple of different examples of the New Testament church met on the first day of the week. But why is that? Get, get a little further. Yeah, it's the day that Christ rose from the dead. And so every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Christ, that we have life in him. It's a proclamation of the gospel. Um, so we practice meeting on Sundays because it's the Lord's day. It's when the Lord rose from the dead. Okay. So follow-up question. Here's where hopefully we don't get too controversial, but you know, you're welcome to give your input. So... Are Christians required to keep the Sabbath today? Are we required to keep the Sabbath today? Why, and, and then why or why not? You said no? Okay. Do you have any reason for that? Okay. Okay. In, in essence... I know. I, go ahead. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying, and I, I appreciate that follow up because, yeah, that's. There's this idea. Okay, and we'll we'll get we'll get to that. We'll unpack that. You know, there's this idea today of antinomianism, which li- literally means against the law or, or you know, anti-law is what it means. Okay. So there are believers today that say we're not bound by any part of the law. It's just grace, that sort of thing. And so um, I think that's an extreme view. Um, but to your point, Ryan, you know, we could, we could go further. Are we under the dietary restrictions of the Levitical law? Are we under these certain things? And then why or why not? Well, to your point, Christ fulfilled the law. I think the law, as we see in Galatians, was meant to be a tutor or a schoolmaster to bring us to faith in Christ. So the law's purpose was to show us that we can't keep the law. We can't obey God's word completely. And so Christ did. He fulfilled it completely. And so those restrictions are removed. We see different places in the New Testament. And one specific place um, in Colossians 2.16. So, and you got to remember, the church is made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And so there's debates in the book of Acts, what, what do we do with all these Gentile believers? Do they need to obey the law of Moses? And I think it's Acts 17 where they have the Jerusalem council and they determine, no, they're not. We didn't keep it, right? Why are we going to put this burden on them that we couldn't keep, right? Uh, tell them to do, and it gives some specific things, practical advice for them. But um, And then Galatians is all about that. Hebrews is all about that. So there are lots of passages that talk about that we're not bound by the law in that sense. 
Um, and Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. So again, this would be the dietary restrictions of the Levitical law or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So we're not bound by those things. Those things are, again, teachers to bring us to Christ. And what we see, and I'm going to read the next verse in just a minute, but what we see is those things are all pointing us to Christ. Okay, ultimately, okay? So, um, I think there is an overarching principle in God's design that as finite beings, we need to take time to rest, to reflect, you know, to, of course, spend devoted time in worship to the Lord. And so I don't, I don't look at Sunday as this is the Christian Sabbath, it's replaced. You know, anything that talks about the Sabbath, well, that's just Sunday today. You know, there are people that have that mindset that, you know, if you cut your grass on Sunday, you're in sin, right? Or if you go out to eat, or a lot of them will go out to eat, but then criticize the people that are working there and not tip them because of that, right? So there's all kind of skewed views about this. Um, but again, we're not held to that regard. But I think there's an overarching principle that we're, we as human beings are designed to need rest, right? I think there's some culture that tried to institute a 10-day week and it just, people were just burdened and miserable, and it didn't work, right? So you can see there's this intention of, we should be taking time to reflect. We shouldn't be just burning both ends of the candle, you know, sun up to sundown, seven days a week. We need to take time to rest and to reflect. And so Sundays can be a means of, maybe that's, that's when we do that. We worship uh, together, we, we reflect, we rest. Um, so I think there's an overarching principle, but I don't think we're bound by the specifics of the Sabbath as believers today, okay? Did you have a question or a comment? Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through several of the commandments and says, you know, you've heard you shouldn't murder, but I say if you look at a woman, or if you look at someone with hate in your heart, then you're guilty of murder. You shouldn't commit adultery, but if you look at a, woman to lust you're guilty of those things yeah the standard the pharisees were trusting in well we keep the law perfectly right and even as he talks with um with what was it the rich young ruler you know i've kept the law completely but your heart you know go sell everything you have and give it to the poor was well, heart wasn't right so it's not just this standard that okay check check all these things off we do all these things their heart posture, their, they weren't worshiping the Lord through that, which was the intention of the Sabbath, to worship God, to view His creation, to rest in what He's accomplished and not within our own work. So it is interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament as commands to believers. The one that's not is the Sabbath. The Sabbath's not specifically commanded in the sense of you're to observe the Sabbath on a Saturday um, in this, in that way. So that's a good, good thing to point out. Yes. Yeah. But I think you see in the New Testament, you see, you know, you think about the, like, if we think about the dietary laws, you see Peter in Acts 10, where he has this vision and, and some people will say, well, it's not about what was, but you see God, I think, is, and we see it in Colossians too, that God's made, look, we're not going to pass judgment on these specific things. 
we're in Christ. He's nailed those things to the cross. He's, he's fulfilled the law for us. There are, I think, parts of the law that we are to obey that are span culture, right? I think a lot of the laws that were given specifically to his people were to set them apart from the other people, right? And what they ate and what they did, there were specific things. But there are certain uh, above culture laws that are for all of time. And I think the New Testament does a good job of capturing what those what those are, yeah. And we're going to get there too. We're almost there if you want to hold that thought because I definitely want to get beyond just, okay, we're done. You don't have to practice the Sabbath. Let's go. Because this is, this is part of, I think, to your point, why you're thinking this way. I'm glad you're tracking with me because this is exactly the train of thought I'm having as I put this together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it, those are questions to be thinking through because those are questions we may get. But yeah. So let's circle back. Let's try to come full full circle. Genesis two, God lays out this foundation of rest for creation that is meant to be never ending. That we, you know, if 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 Adam and Eve never sin, they enjoy this rhythm of their working, but. There's an ease to it. There's a satisfaction in their labor. And they're ultimately trusting God's ability to work and to labor and to do what he's called them to do. That's broken by sin. Now we see the curse upon the world. We experience stress and strife. We have a sin nature that gets in the way of that. And so all these things, and even the Sabbath command, point us ultimately to Christ. And so the very next verse, I read Colossians two sixteen. Let me read verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Why? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So all those laws were meant to point us to Christ, right? And the Sabbath ultimately points us to the rest that we see. And this is what we see in Hebrews 4. The rest that is offered to us through the gospel, okay? This is the rest that Jesus invited his people to in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is the invitation to reenter that rest that's broken by the fall, that's restored through the finished work of Christ. And it's fitting that... Here in Genesis chapter 2, it says, um, verse 2, And on the seventh day, God finished his work. And how fitting it is that Jesus' somewhat final words on the cross are what? It is finished. The work of redemption is complete. Uh, Now this invitation to enter that rest from our labors, our works, our striving to earn God's favor by keeping the law, by doing this and that, that, that burden is freed up. And so we're invited to experience this invitation. So I do want to encourage you, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Because this really captures this idea, this, this principle of this Sabbath rest that we're invited to participate in. Okay, <clears throat> And I know we're short on time, but I don't have too much after this. So let me just read this whole chapter, because I just love the case that's being made. This invitation to rest through the gospel, okay? Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So there was this invitation to the people as they leave the as they leave Egypt to enter this promised land, there's almost a promise of rest that they didn't take advantage of, that Joshua, when he finally leads them in, they didn't fully obey, they didn't fully enter that rest. And so God says, I'm not going to let them enter my rest, physically speaking, but of course, through the gospel, we have this invitation to rest. So pick up with verse 5. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest. Almost an oxymoron. How do you strive to enter rest? So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay? We'll stop there with verse 13. So, the, the, the invitation to rest, every other, we think about it, religion says to earn God's favor, you do this, right? Keep these laws, keep these commands, go to church, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And we feel the burden of that, of trying to earn God's favor. Why? Because it's like we're climbing a hill. It's like that, I can't think of the name, but there's a Greek uh, myth where the guy pu- pushes the rock to the top of the mountain and he's sentenced to do this for eternity. And just when he gets to the top and about to push it over, it rolls back down. He's got to go back down and pick it up. That's what trying to earn God's favor through our works does, right? It leaves us restless. It leaves us burdened. And yet Jesus pushes the stone up the hill, metaphorically speaking. He finishes the work. He completes God's law completely and says, enter the rest that I've provided. Rest in his finished works. Don't trust your works. Now, again, we see this fleshed out in Scripture. Works are a product of true faith, right? So this isn't antinomian, I can do whatever I want because I'm saved by grace. But it's we're resting in the finished work of Christ. We're not resting in our ability to please God. We're resting in what he does. And so then we're invited to enter that rest. And so I love this. I'll end with this quote from R. Kent Hughes. When you truly trust in Christ as Savior, rest comes because the burden of your sins is lifted. You rest from your works. And because you're in Christ, you enter the Sabbath rest of God. You know that he is your creator and redeemer. Everyone who has truly come to Christ has experienced that rest. All the impossible striving to gain salvation was then over. You rested in Christ, not in yourself. The burden of guilt was lifted. Your soul was light with rest. So all the way back in Genesis 2, as this is laid out, God has the picture, the full picture of redemption, that man would break that rest, we would disobey, and that Christ would eventually complete that rest and, and invite us to re-enter it by faith in him, okay? So hopefully that's big picture. I know we didn't spend a ton of time in Genesis because we're looking throughout, but I think the implications are clear here. So 
Let's pray. If you have questions, maybe hold them for um, a couple weeks. Pastor Justin's going to be leading next week. I'll be out of town. Um, I don't think he's planning on being in Genesis, but still invite you to come. I think it's always encouragement, whatever he has to share. So we'll pick back up in verse 4 here in a couple weeks. But let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this rest that you invite us to partake in through the finished work of Christ. And I pray even as we come today to worship you, that we would rest in that reality, that we would rest in the completed work of Christ, and that the works we do would not be uh, in our own uh, power, in our own ability, in our own striving to try to please you, but would come out of the finished work of Christ, that would be a product of righteousness that you've given to us through his finished work. So, Lord, help us to meditate upon these things. And, Lord, in the the chaos of life, may we fall back on this reality of, of ultimate rest that you provide. And we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.